0: Hello welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Just a reminder, if you have not signed up for my newsletter, jasonpereira.ca, please do so. And remind you again that the 2020 IFID Conference on the topic of the value of financial advice is happening in Burlington, Ontario on April 7th, 2020. I do serve on the board of IFID as well as the board of the Financial Planning Association of Canada, who is co-sponsoring and am alum of the Groot School of Business. So three tie-ins. Uh, we actually have three wonderful speakers. Preep Banerjee, who's been on the show before, Dr. Marcus Costia, and Dr. Alessandro Pervitero. If you're in the area, please take the time to come and see it. Tickets are free, but admission is limited, and information can be found at ifidconference.com. Now on today's show. Today on the show, I have Natalie Sunderland, Chief Marketing Officer of Adapar. Adapar is a performance reporting platform that allows advisors to customize and build beautiful and user-friendly performance reports to better engage clients. And with that, here's my interview with Natalie.
1: Hello, Natalie. Hello. It's good to be here.
0: Yes. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Natalie Sunderland, Chief Marketing Officer of Adapar. Tell us about Adapar.
1: Sure. Well, so I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Adapar. I've been with the company for... Coming up on a year and a half, Adapar is a fintech or wealth tech. We are specifically a wealth management platform that specializes in data aggregation and performance reporting, even for the most complex portfolios. Today, we've got $1.7 being managed on our platform by more than 400 clients from family offices, RIAs, private banks, and broker-dealers. And we're based here in Silicon Valley. We've got offices in Salt Lake City and New York, maybe Mm -hmm. one day in Toronto.
0: I'm just stopping to think about the fact that you actually have an office in Salt Lake City before you have one in Toronto.
1: (laughs) It'll come, it'll come. Not not the
0: financial hub of the world, is it now? Okay, so, wow, we uh, knocked that ego down a oh, hit. No, um, well, no it's good.
1: Though we've got we've got a phenomenal service team there. We've got um, a great team that works on implementing and servicing our clients primarily.
0: Is that right? I'm gonna ask again. So, and for the background, you are Canadian, so therefore you're being overly apologetic. So, uh, <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That didn't take long. So, uh, tell us about the history of Adapar and why it came to be.
1: Sure. Well, Adapar was founded by Joe Lonsdale in the wake of the financial crisis and. Personally, he had a little bit of an issue. He was in a position where he had assets and in 2008, 2009 was looking around and trying to figure out how he was being impacted by the events that were taking place in the world and in America. He realized there was no way for him to understand all of that. So realized that he wasn't the only one in this boat. There were many people who had a hard time understanding the assets they owned, what they were worth, and what decisions they should make. And ultimately that's what prompted him to found ADAPAR, realizing that there are some pretty complex assets out there and we could provide a very valuable service to the wealth managers and their clients to truly help them understand, get that 360 view and make better decisions.
0: And frankly to be honest, one of the most lackluster areas of the entire client experience has sadly been the statements. Like the the reporting into clients has always been just, in my opinion, abysmal, no matter how I looked at it. And it's not surprising that someone came along and said, there's got to be a better way to actually aggregate all this, put this in one place, and actually show me what it is I have. So uh, I'm not surprised that it took someone in the valley to basically solve this problem.
1: (laughs) Well, if I can just add to that, there are some uh, segments of wealth that have this problem even more so mm-hmm. than the affluent or mass affluent. When you take into account illiquids, alternatives, whatnot, mm-hmm. ownership structure, multi-currency, things become even more complicated. So, getting that total picture. And not only that, I'll also add the fact that you know, coming out of 2008, many people keep their assets in very different places. You don't have your assets, you know, necessarily in one place any longer with one hmm. bank, with one wealth manager. So getting that full, per- full picture is incredibly valuable and actually really difficult. So I appreciate you mentioning that.
0: Oh, yeah. And I often make the joke that you know statements suck because typically it's just based on legal disclosures we, think we have to tell clients and they're not really designed to be pretty. But I would say that what I've seen of your platform is rather pretty. So let's talk <laughs> about how it is you guys decided you were going to tackle this problem and what the end result.
1: Sure. Well, I guess what I would simply start by saying is that we start with The end client experience in mind. Um, A novel idea
0: in financial.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And certainly there are lots of aspects to that that make it complicated, data and whatnot. But let's just start with that end client experience. And one of the things that I found to be super interesting is that those folks who are in the position of having more than average wealth are likeliest to have the poorest experience. That's because their wealth managers are using legacy. Technology systems, going back to the reporting, reports are, you know, we hear from investors, I just get a cookie cutter report. I get a cookie cutter statement. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand what I'm worth, the decisions that I need to make. And the advisors themselves ultimately try to be able to have those conversations, but they're limited by the tools themselves to be able to have those personal conversations. In fact, we see many of our clients converting from Excel. So Excel continues. Oh my to God, keep, sorry.
0: I just felt intense pain. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Excel? <laughs> Are you
1: okay? Oh, no.
0: I mean, like, I, I know yeah, oh, there's, there's certain moments where you know it's bad, but you don't realize how bad it is. And just like, don't get me wrong, legacy systems, all this other stuff. I know your clients are converting. Their previous option was Excel. Oh,
1: many, and many of them, but not all of them. Certainly, you know, yeah. many of our clients are also using more innovative products. But I think it just simply goes to show that there is tremendous opportunity to really tailor conversations and use technology to help make that happen.
0: Absolutely. So, again, there's got to be a better way, as always, how all these things start there, and you guys created one. So, tell me about how you basically, or how your platform works. You know, you're, you say you're pulling in data from other places. There's a lot of kind of facets to this. So you tackle the problem that is, that is basically multifaceted. There's the data problem, there's the display problem, there's the managing it, there's the customization. Tell me about what it's like to actually use your platform first as an advisor, who's probably putting together these reports, and then as the client in terms of their interactive experience.
1: Sure. So ultimately what we strive to do is to create a friction-free experience for both our advisors as well as their clients let's just start with the client front so we have, I'll say I, I can say this because I'm in marketing, but we have a pretty sexy mobile app that allows our, our advisors' clients to truly really see on the fly what they're worth, including many of their complex assets. We also have a really slick portal that our clients are able to access on-demand reports, the reports that they need to make the decisions that they need to be able to make. Not only that, you know, they have come to expect their advisors to be able to provide them with much more personal reporting as well. I remember sitting down with some advisors, a couple of our clients, gosh, back in um, September. And one of our advisors actually, a client actually said, you know what? I actually don't even do quarterly reports anymore. I don't Mm -hmm. do quarterly. Our clients don't read them. I'm not going to send an annual report of 300 pages. I send one page once a month Mm -hmm. and I answer five questions. I don't exactly remember what they are on the top of my head, but there were, these are the five questions that I answer for all my clients they get one page. And so I'd say that that's probably one of the biggest shifts that's happened that we're really seeing advisors embracing modern technology giving their clients the information that they need that they care most about not necessarily giving them a quarterly report with, you know, 20 30 200 300 pages that they can lose That They're a never going
0: to read or understand. Right. I mean, ultimately yes. you just have to
1: shred it you know like, what am i going to do with this thing i have to shred it
0: no exactly i mean i've never known a client to not complain about statements at the end of the day they you know they're not and like i said there's a couple of things we have to do according to regulation and that ends up dominating the design more than anything else but frankly that's not how we should be communicating to clients and i'm sure that you know he said that guy for example with the four to five questions he answered I'm sure his client satisfaction rates went through the roof because of it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think what it also demonstrates is that he cares about his clients Mm -hmm. and he cares about having the right conversation with his clients not necessarily showing up with you know reports that their clients don't understand but really kind of tailoring the conversation to the client based on their specific needs I think that ultimately that really comes down to at a parse core value proposition yeah. we aim to serve those who manage wealth and allow them to create tailored conversations with their clients so there may be a client that has a lot more complexity that does need the very very detailed records reports. That's okay. We're really excited to support that. But what we most importantly, it comes down to deepening the relationship for us, deepening the relationship between the advisor and their client, and giving them the tools to be able to do that and to do so efficiently. Basically, it's personal relationships and personal conversations at scale.
0: So let's talk about what the advisor experience is in terms of designing and modifying reports. So I've already got the default report you guys set me up with, but I don't like a particular aspect of it, or want to change a particular aspect of it, lay things out differently, add a chart, whatever it might be. What does it look like when I actually get into the software? I mean, I'm, you know, we're not coding sure. here. How, what's the experience? What's the yeah, UI?
1: yeah? That's a great question. Well, actually, one of our clients, actually one of our earliest clients, John Porter. He actually used to be a lawyer at uh, Apple before he became a financial advisor. He refers to our user that's a weird <laughs> career. <laughs> <laughs> I'll introduce him. He's a really great guy, very entertaining guy, and super smart doing lots of really cool things in the Valley. But, you know, he refers to the adapar user experience as Apple-like. The fact is it's extremely intuitive. Reports are easy to build in moments. It allows the advisor to focus on, again, as I was saying earlier, Tailoring the conversation to their client's needs, so on the fly, you could have a uh, you could have a client call up and say, "Hey, based on what happened yesterday in the news, I'd like to talk to you about such and such situation in Russia or such and such situation in Europe." The folks who use Atapar are very quickly able to take a look at the interface decide on the questions that they'd like to be able to answer and then customize the report for in moments so that a few minutes later they can actually have a conversation with their clients. Not only that, we have the capability to truly brand. Clients are able to brand according to their own branding. It's extremely customizable, really, you know, our clients say a joy to use.
0: Excellent. So at the end of the day, I'm not, again, learning any lines of code. I'm dragging, dropping, changing, modifying. I mean, I got to play around and see it a little bit. And I got to say it's incredibly intuitive and leaps and bounds above what I'm using today, given the fact that you know I take the custom stock reports and maybe edit a couple of functions that go in there before that. So talk to me about the different types of clients you're servicing right now. Like who's basically being attracted to your platform?
1: Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So given the fact that we started off by serving family offices, that gave us the opportunity to really learn how to serve up data for the most complex assets. I mentioned them earlier. And so we have a really powerful value proposition for family office clients. And we've certainly been known in that space, I'd say. However, over the past few years, we've grown tremendously. We serve RIAs, and I'll come back after that just a moment, we serve private banks, including some of the big ones and uh, broker dealers, warehouses, and whatnot. We've been known for our work with Morgan Stanley, Alliance Bernstein on the private banking front. On the RAA front, I'll just take a moment on that front because I think that to me is the most exciting opportunity for us to really make a difference. In taking a look at the RAA market, what we've, I think you know as well as I do, that this market has been underserved by technology. And what we're seeing is that advisors, independent advisors who choose atapar are doing so because they realize the value that technology can bring to helping them scale their practices becoming much more efficient and also being able to service their clients in a way that they kind of demand it these days and so as a result of this we actually crunched some data this data was validated by RA database last year uh, back in december and we've actually seen that our clients growth our RA clients actually outpace the market they're outgrowing their peers And that's ultimately because, again, they're able to provide much more personal services a much stronger value proposition to their clients at scale.
0: Well, it makes sense to me. I mean, first off, you're you partnered with Dynasty, so clearly you're servicing several RAs <laughs> and large scale yeah. ones. But when you look at the trends in the RA market in terms of household count per advisor, typically that's sub 100 these days and trending even lower just as the value proposition everybody's trying to increase their value proposition. You're talking about a lot of, you know, we're not talking mass market. We're talking niche, right? We're talking much more one-on-one communication and contact. So the ability to customize around each individual household's experience is a valuable tool set when someone's looking to provide a high level of customization of service as well, because then it becomes a high level of customization of reporting. So yeah, not many platforms can enable that. So
1: <laughs> so well, had- I, I appreciate you calling that out. And what I'd point out is that having a personal conversation isn't just something for the ultra high net worth. Right? Even if you've got a bit of money tucked away, may not a $100 million, but a couple of million dollars. You have In come the to <laughs> You used
0: to be numbers. Okay. So <laughs> some of us over here are not uh, as used to that. But sure. Yeah.
1: So let's just say, let's just say high net worth, right? So even those folks that are high net worth, may not be ultra high net worth, are expecting a certain level of personalization, a certain level of customization. And so we really believe in enabling advisors to have those tailored conversations. And the fact is, all of us have become accustomed to a personal interaction through, you know, the technology that we use every day. So it's ridiculous that you can't get this data or you can't get this information or things are being represented in this way, even if it doesn't make any sense to you. You know, at the end of the day, we believe that that's where the world has gone and we have to help advisors get there. And that also includes breakaways, of course,
0: as well. Well, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's uh, the entire world is moving towards a digitized, customized, highly personal experience, and you know, unfortunately, while while I will say that the advisors themselves have looked to service clients in such a manner, the technology to date has not exactly followed suit, especially when we start dealing with legacy systems that are written in COBOL, which is a running joke on this show. <laughs> you're clearly you're clearly not. So let's talk about the feedback. Okay, so you're talking about you got some good metrics on on growth in terms of you versus what people we were using before what are the advisors coming back to you and saying that the general general experience is like
1: right well overall they're really loving the experience we like to on our end joke around the number of hugs sometimes tears are shed <laughs> when, when especially those folks who save work me in, from
0: excel or?
1: <laughs> <laughs> or or even you know you know we'll hear from our clients That activities that would take them days now take them hours, if not minutes. So that to us is the best validation along with their clients ultimately being able to scale and grow their businesses. I'll also add, I mean, there's some other kind of proof points there that I find really compelling. We have a number of people who used to work for our clients who have come to work for us. <laughs> right. So for example, you know, we've I've got one colleague who used to work at Tiedemann. We've got a series of them. They have worked at Jefferies. There are a bunch of them. I could rattle them all off. Ultimately, they realize the power of technology and they want to come, like they've kind of drunk the Kool-Aid. They want to come in-house and help us explain this value to the world. We've also, I should, I don't know if I, we also have a number of folks who have come from our competitors who now work <laughs> at Adapar as well. I'm not going to name names, but again, to me, this is really important. It's a, it's a good thing you have
0: non-compete, you don't have non-competes in California. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, ultimately, I think this is the, the, the best compliment anybody can make us, which is, you know, people are voting with their feet.
0: Absolutely. So talk to me about the technical challenge of this. I mean, the drag and drop and interface that you built, I mean, that was a challenge in itself. But the data, frankly, you're talking about challenging different forms and they come in probably all different types of all different types of data feeds or data feeds at all. Maybe you're doing some web scraping. What's what was the technical challenge in terms of getting this all in place? How daunting was that as a task?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the first thing that I'll say is that actually one of the fundamentals at Adapar is that we don't believe in screen scraping. Mm. So we've actually built our own pipes over 200 with a number of different banks, custodians, whatnot, in order to ensure that we have the highest quality most trusted data. So I just wanted to hmm. just make that point
0: first of all. Well that's a big uh, that's a big point. So essentially instead of simply getting the user login and scraping that data out and then you know that breaks every time something moves, you're literally going into these vendors and basically trying to get like access to the book of record in real time. We have built these feeds,
1: they're proprietary feeds. Now, real time is, you know, we pull the data. So it depends yeah, on doesn't you know necessarily how we,
0: have to be in real time, ex- you know, end of day. Whatever, exactly.
1: But ultimately, we all know the direction that screen scraping is going. And so we really believe it kind of helps demonstrate our value proposition around the quality of the data and the security mm-hmm. of the data as well. Mm-hmm. Right. But as you as you said, and you, you said it yourself, right? So we're pulling data in from legacy systems. Those systems don't talk to each other. They're antiquated in many cases. And not only that, because we, of the the types of clients that we serve. We also have data coming in from lots of different countries Feeds that we're building internationally as well. So there's a a lot of complexity there, but at the end of the day, it really speaks to our engineering team, our service team. Actually, 74% of our team supports R&D and servicing in general. And so that's another reason why we think we win. We've really got a phenomenal team really focused on building, not just bringing the data in, but building a, a a platform that can stand the test of time.
0: So I got that's interesting. It's a it's a pretty decent strategic moat there to have that kind of level of integration with the source data. And then secondly, I'm almost wondering like, are you not marketing that as a separate business altogether? <laughs> like I would think access to your pipes would be valuable and could be could be its own separate line item. But
1: it's really it's really funny to hear you say that. I think just taking a look at trends, things that are going on in the market, even you know, as recently as yesterday, data is valuable. And I think oh, ultimately- you're
0: talking about the fact we're doing this interview right after visa buys a but, uh, Clad. Clad yeah. yeah,
1: Exactly. I think ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the fortunate position of sitting on $1.7 trillion worth of data. And our CEO, Eric, likes to talk about the fact that we've built a phenomenal rear view mirror, but certainly having access to the data that we have gives us a lot of opportunity to help our clients and their clients make better decisions in the future. So that's what's exciting to me. That's why I joined the company. I've spent a bunch of time over the past decade working in data companies and this is one of the most exciting when I think about the future.
0: Especially given the fact that you guys control your own access points that's incredible and I can't imagine the daunting challenge that your tech team it's one thing for for guys like me to say, oh, I wish they had an API or wish they could, could draw data, get a data feed. You guys are going in there and building the data feed on top of the, God knows how old legacy systems that exist in some of these places. Like, I can't imagine the level of drinking your, your tech team would have to do in some of these cases. Well, we, we
1: keep it responsible, Jason. We keep it
0: responsible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, but, you but, say but, that, but I'm pretty sure that they take one look at it and okay, let, let's go to the bar because tomorrow's going to hurt. And then, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, I, I will, again, I, I want to compliment our team. We have a phenomenal team of people focused on on our R&D. But the other thing that I'll add is that in addition to the feeds, we've also really invested in our APIs. Mm-hmm. We've got a number of partnerships for, you know, off-the-shelf APIs or integrations and then in addition to that, we also have a really strong toolkit. We're able to do custom integrations in a, in a pretty straightforward way, pretty easy way. And I don't think we've done a great job of taking credit for that. So if we think a little bit about this year, one of the things that I'm excited to do is help the market understand the capabilities that we have that are under the covers and help them realize that moving from legacy to modern technology doesn't have to be as painful as they think it, it would be.
0: <laughs> That's quite the story to sell. Not, hey, all year is pain. Well, it's,
1: yeah, I know there's pain, but there's a lot of gain as well. And oh, so, for those it's, firms that we work with who have made the, who, you know, have pulled the band aid off, ripped the band aid off, it's really making a difference to their growth. Oh, my God. Um, we don't
0: need 50 people just to correct this one process that could have been done by the push of a button anymore. That's fantastic. Right. Like, I yeah, mean, exactly. yeah it's, it's not even a choice. I mean, it's just, it's inevitability that they have to move beyond it. Just, it's difficult. Anyway, so before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. Uh, the first one is if you had one wish for something you can change in your company or in the industry as a whole, what would it be?
1: Oh gosh well, I didn't say that would know, be easy. Yeah no okay okay so uh, let's just talk a little bit about the industry. It's a very conservative industry and frankly I, I didn't mention this <laughs> earlier, but I spent the bulk of my career working for American Express and Citigroup really really great companies, American Express financial advisors, really, really great companies. but I've also worked for the Canadian government and they operate like oh, by- God. Government. There's a lot of risk, and in order to take a risk, there's very little at times, very little reward for the risk that you take. And I guess if I could wave a magic wand, I would help it, these companies that we work with, these firms that we work with, just embrace the risk a little bit more. I think there's a ton of opportunity upside for them if they're able to do that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. This is a conversation we've had on multiple occasions, specifically around the incentives within these institutions, right? These these are institutions that are not that generally have not designed their incentive systems to take risk. In fact, it's completely the opposite. A sit. So, trying to break out of that kind of corporate culture, I agree with you. So, I wish I had because we wouldn't be. We see a lot more innovation if they would be willing to take some small chances. Anyway, so next question: What's been the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today?
1: Well, I can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. For me personally, you know, when I inherit when I joined the company, there hadn't been a marketing organization, so I'm really kind of working from a company that is 10 years old, but really building a story relatively from the ground up in a short amount of time. So that's a a little bit more on the personal side, but overall, I think that the biggest challenge that we have, and one that I'm actively working on right now, is helping the market understand that we are not a niche product, we are not a niche solution. That in fact, there are many types of firms that can benefit from Adapar and that we're much more accessible, much easier to work with. And although we are premium priced. We certainly are, you know, we have different models for working with different kinds of companies. So if, you know, wealth managers are interested in working with Atapar, is some way to do so.
0: It's interesting. So they actually perceive you as a niche solution, eh? That's, I find that it's interesting because to me, you're a core functionality, right? Like you're, you're how you communicate in a large part, in large part to your clients, right? Like that to me is a core function. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can, I, I can see how the people could maybe take I think it comes.
1: Yeah, I think it comes from, it comes from our legacy with family offices, but our opportunity, like I said, is to help all sorts of firms understand how we can help them accomplish their goals and certainly working with, I mean, we're so lucky we get to work with some of the best wealth managers in the world and the clients that they they serve are incredible and so we are going to be, we're engaging with our clients to help them share their, their best practices so the world can learn from them.
0: So, last question I ask you, I ask before we wrap up is, what excites you the most about what it is you guys are working on and what is it that gets you up in the morning every day ready just to keep at it?
1: Yeah, that's great. So, what I'm most excited about is the investment that we are making in improving the experience for those who use the platform and more importantly, the experience for the end investor. We are going to be making major inroads there over the course of this year into the near future, really thinking about each of those segments and making sure that we can deliver on an extremely compelling and differentiated value proposition. So that to me is thrilling. I will say I'm really excited about the data opportunity and as a marketer new oil,
0: you better pay, you know, <laughs> it is, right? It. Yeah. right
1: so you know without again without going too deep into that there's a tremendous opportunity for us as we think a little bit about what we can do just by simply having some of this insight. But just coming back to the root of the question, what gets me out of bed in the morning are the people that I work with. We have a phenomenal team. My peers are incredible. I get to work with some of the top leaders in tech and finance. I'll just name some names just to make that really Go ahead and clear. name drop. I'm not going to... I'm going to... will name drop. So Eric, our CEO, is the smartest and nicest human being in combination. Worked at Palantir, really strong tech chops, really strong finance chops. I work with David Lessing. who used to be the chief officer. Operating officer for um, Morgan Stanley Wealth Management, Sally, who runs HR, used to run HR at Twitch. You know, we've got an incredible group of people who are bringing their playbook to bear on the business, but they're also really, really good human beings. You know, my team is phenomenal. We've got some really great people who know the business, who care a lot about making a difference, and who are really fun to work with.
0: Yeah. You got a CEO who used to work at Palantir, so there's someone who knows the value of data. <laughs> Not that no that kidding, that, or no any kidding. Shape or form. No and kidding. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been great. And I encourage everybody to take a look at this because quite frankly, I've seen the result and it's a lot prettier than any of the stuff I deal with. A lot more dynamic. So yeah, keep it up. Thank
1: you so much, Jason. It was great talking. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: My pleasure. So that was my interview with Natalie from Atapar. I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever to you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care.